What a blessing to be here with you, ladies. So I um, started coming here as a baby when we were in the other building, and the nursery or the children's ministry met in a school bus. That's how long I've been here. So like she said, my, I have the best parents in the world, Gary and Roslyn. They really are just amazing. You guys all know, you all love my mom, and the best sisters and nieces, and this is just such a blessing. I'm seeing all these people I know. It's so hard to not say hi. But um, what a blessing to be here. And I just know you guys know that you have the best pastor and pastor's wife, right? We love Pastor Rob and Denise. You guys, every, we all know they are the most genuinely God-loving people. They're just so real. And they have been so supportive of us all these years. From on staff here to sending us to Costa Rica. I mean, they would visit us down there. They met us in Guatemala when we were going through a rough patch just to counsel us and be there for us. You guys are really blessed. And whenever I'm going through a trial, I think, okay, Denise has gone through this as a pastor's wife. I'll make it too. So, Denise, I love you. You're amazing. And it's just so good to be here. And so many of you guys were high school leaders for me or Sunday school teachers. And uh, it's just great to see you. I hope I get to say hi to all you afterwards. Okay, and just a quick recap of our lives. Um, we were on staff here when we, I met my husband here, Phil McKay. We got married. We were the college and, he was the college and career pastor here at the church. And then we had our daughter, Eden. And I think we have a picture of my family. Um, we had our daughter, Eden. Now she's 16. Can you believe it? I mean, I, I, we were living here when she was born. And then God led us to Costa Rica. We were there for nine years. We had three more sons there, Costa Ricans, Ticos. Then God led us to Texas, and we were there for five years, and we had a little Texas baby, Joel, and now he's two. And so we have a souvenir child of every place we've lived, and now we're in Reno, Sparks, Nevada, which I never thought we'd live in Nevada, and I feel like we need a souvenir from Nevada, too. What do you guys think? Okay. Although my husband says we're seven people, it's the number of completion, and we're complete. So we'll see about that. Okay, so there's my family. Can you believe how we've all grown? Well, let's pray and dive right in. Lord, thank you for this um, amazing evening and amazing ladies, and that your presence is here. And I just feel this beautiful theme, God, of what you're doing already tonight and ministering to hearts through the music, through the dance. Lord, you're such an amazing God, how you um, weave through this theme of the long-awaited one, even through the dances. You're so good. And Lord, we're just asking you to open up the heavens and bring down your Holy Spirit, because that's who you are. And we just want to start out this December, December 10th. We're still 15 days away from Christmas. We just want to dedicate this month to you remembering you and your plan. Would you have your way in us tonight, Holy Spirit? Would you speak to our hearts as only you can? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple months ago, like I said, my two-year-old, Joel, after dinner, I went outside. My daughter, who's here with me, Eden, she's 16, and her and my son and I, we went outside and we laid on the grass and we looked up at the stars And my daughter had taught our son, Joel, that Jesus lives up there. And although we know he lives everywhere, he likes to say Jesus is up there. So this, we also have a dog named Bubba, a puppy. Bubba, I don't know why. And so we all say, 
Come here, Bubba. You know how you do to dogs, and you pat your leg. Come here, come here. And so he says, mirror, mirror, and for come here. And he even tried it with me one time. Mirror, mommy, mirror. And he's patting his leg. I was like, oh, no, you don't. That's where we draw the line. We're not saying I'm not a dog. But this night he stood up as my daughter and I are looking up at the stars, and he starts patting his leg. Mirror, Jesus, mirror. And he's just looking, like, expectantly. You could tell. He really thought Jesus was going to mirror. And he's just like, mirror. And he keeps patting his leg. And after a while, and uh, he looks at my daughter and me and goes, <sighs> he was just so disappointed. You know, his little face like, Jesus didn't mirror. But I just thought, oh, the father's heart in that moment that surely he was like, oh, my son, I can't wait to come. Trust me, I know the day and hour and I can't wait. And isn't that our heart just like my son, Joel? Aren't we so desperately longing? Oh, Jesus, we're looking up to the sky, too. We're waiting till he calls us up. And we're like, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. And then we, as we step into this beautiful Christmas story tonight, we see that the people of Israel during Jesus' time had that same desperate waiting, that longing for the Messiah, the long-awaited one. And that's our theme tonight, the long-awaited one. And they were looking, wondering, is it now? Is the Messiah coming? Just like we saw in the dances, you know? Is it time, Jesus? And then we ask ourselves, what about the Father's heart? Was he like the people 2,000 years ago thinking, oh, is it now? Should I? They're really getting desperate. They're losing hope. Should I send my son now? Well, Galatians 4.4 is our theme verse, and it answers that question perfectly. And it says this, When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So we see in this verse that God had a set time. He had a preordained, pre-planned day and hour. And did you catch in that verse when it says, when the set time had fully come? Or in the New King James, it puts us this way, when the fullness of time had come. In the Greek, that word fullness of time or set time, it means completion. And it's literally in the Greek, this picture of a container that you fill, you put things in to fill up. And when it's completely full, it's that word, the set time, or when the fullness of time had come. And for whatever reason, I have this picture of this clear container. It's like a glass container in my mind. And it's like marbles, you know, and you're putting in the marbles. And then when it's the fullness, that container is full. Because it doesn't just have this picture of a container. It's also a period of time. So I just see it when it was the set time. God knew the time. He didn't guess the perfect timing or watch the times to see if it was the right time to send his son. In his perfect sovereignty, he knew the date and the time before time even began. I love that video that we started with that Denise picked. Wasn't that beautiful of the painting? Because you see, in God's divine timeline... The world started with one perfect government approximately 6,000 years ago. There was only one government, but we know the story, right? Satan wanted to be like God, and he rebelled, and so an opposing government began 6,000 years ago. And for approximately the next 4,000 years, God's people were longing and waiting for the Savior to be sent, the Messiah, and for one perfect government to be set up again. And we know That just as our theme verse said, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. The fullness of that period arrived. And now we find ourselves on the other side of God's divine timeline, 2,000 years later, waiting 
longing for our Messiah to meet us in the clouds and to take us home. And then we will truly have that one perfect government again after the second coming. So let's take a moment to look at this sovereignty of God. Because I said in his sovereignty, at the set time he sent his son. Well, I love how A.W. Tozer defines it. He says, to be sovereign, God must be all-knowing, so he knows all things, all-powerful, he has all the power to accomplish it, and absolutely free. He's free to do what he knows is best. He's free to give us the freedom when he chooses, right? Did you know that in God's sovereignty, God has always known every single thing that would ever happen before the world was even created? Have you ever thought about the fact that God never learns anything? He's never surprised. You moms out here like me, I'm surprised daily by my kids. I remember the time when we were moving from Texas, and uh, God was calling us to Nevada. I get mixed up. And my son, who's now 10, at the time he was 8, he had a cold. And so I thought, you know, I don't want to be between states, between pediatricians, trying to figure out a doctor if he gets an ear infection. You know how it normally turns into an ear infection. So I took him to the pediatrician, and he starts asking him questions. Uh, do your ears hurt? No. Does your throat hurt? No. Have you been sniffing? My son doesn't miss a beat. He says, oh, yes. I sniff Sharpies all day, every day. (laughs) And I am not kidding. That was his answer like this. Because, you know, we were moving. We had boxes everywhere. We had Sharpies everywhere. We had packing tape. I'm not kidding. You guys know who have moved. You have Sharpies, packing tape, boxes everywhere. And I'm not that bad of a mom. If I knew he was smelling Sharpies all day, I would have told him. Thankfully, our pediatrician went to our church and he said, we better not tell anyone at church that. But, you know, I was surprised. I'm always surprised by what my kids said. But did you know that God's never surprised? You're his daughter and he's never surprised at what you do or say. He already knows all things. He never has to take time to pray about something and come up with a plan. Okay, Rebecca, give me a couple days for that, to come up with a solution to that problem or an answer. Isn't that amazing? He can't ever have any improvements. (laughs) He never makes mistakes. He's always 100% right all the time. That's what it means to be righteous. He never has regrets or second guesses himself. I second guess myself all the time. And nothing can thwart his plan. I love the picture of the, like an ant maze. And, you know, they have a picture. But it's like if you had an ant maze on a table. And, of course, that picture of the ant maze is covered with, like, a glass so that the ants can't just crawl over the walls. But these walls are about this tall. I watched a video on YouTube of it. Someone made an ant maze. And, you know, you put the ants in there. And they can't see around the corner what's coming, right? All they can see is what's directly in front of them. But of course, we as a person above the table, we can see the whole thing. We're like, yeah, you're going to be turning there and then there and there. And it took them like 40 minutes to get out of this ant maze, these ants. I watched it. But anyways, you know, it's a poor (laughs) illustration of God, of course, but I hope you get the picture. It's like the history of the world. And God is standing above like we would to this ant maze. And we only see one little season, one little section, one turn at a time. But God saw the whole divine timeline from the beginning. He sees everything. You see, in his sovereignty, he has always known the history of the world and the divine 
timeline and what comfort and hope that brings us this season, doesn't it? I don't know if you're like me, but for me to know that God knows everything before it happens and he's in control, it brings comfort in these chaotic times to my heart. So I want to look at the Christmas story tonight through the lens of God's sovereignty. As we step into this story, we're going to see three points. God's sovereignty in Jesus' first coming, God's sovereignty in our personal lives, and God's sovereignty in Jesus' imminent return. So let's dive into the first point, um, God's sovereignty in his first coming. Well, after thousands of years of God's people waiting for the long-awaited one, he was finally born as a baby. In his sovereignty, we know that God the Father, he was involved in all the timing and the details of it all. How about the timing? Again, our theme verse. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son. That set time. Let's look at the timing of when Jesus was sent to the earth, born as a baby. We could go on and on of all the details, but for time's sake, we'll just look at a few, okay? So first of all, the timing didn't seem ideal to the Jews, did it? They had been waiting thousands of years, and we know that the zealots, they gave up waiting, and they took matters into their own hands. Other Jews were looking to the Maccabeans, the royalty in Israel, to be a savior, to make things right for them. And we know that the Jews wanted to overthrow Rome, didn't they, if we look at history? But God, in his perfect divine timeline, he sent his son during the Roman Empire. And this year, I'm studying with, in homeschool with my younger boys the Roman Empire in depth. And it's amazing God's perfect timing that he sent Jesus during the Pax Romana, you know, the time of Roman peace. The whole known world was unified. There was peace for the gospel to spread easily. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't like you crossed a border and it's like, oh, we're in war zone now. We need to be careful. The whole known world had a time of peace where the gospel could just go forth. How about the fact that there was one language? You guys know that. Everybody in the whole known world at least spoke Greek as their second language. And as a missionary, as I said, for nine years, I know by experience how long it takes to learn a second language well enough to be able to share the gospel in it. What a great timing. For the gospel to go forth. How about that the, Ro- the Romans were known for their amazing roads? Again, the gospel could just go forth. And also, what about the census that we always talk about? You know, from the time you're a little kid, you read, now the census went out from Caesar Augustus. And then you're studying the Roman Empire, and you're like, oh, that's Caesar Augustus. It's like the most famous person ever. And God put it on his heart and his sovereignty to say, Uh, Make a census right now, and it was right when Mary had Jesus, because hundreds of years before, God prophesied through the prophets that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. His timing is perfect. But what about the timing for Mary? Remember in Luke 1.33, the angel told Mary, speaking of Jesus, he said this, He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, that sounds like a glorious promise. Praise the Lord. She's probably thinking, glory after shame. You guys know she faced much persecution for obeying God. That scarlet letter on her chest, of course. But soon, the whole world would know the truth, that he really was the Son of God, that she really was a virgin. He would reign forever, the angel said. But the timing would be very different than she expected. Right? As we saw in that beautiful dance. 
God's ways are not always easy for us to understand. But that shouldn't surprise us, ladies. He told us hundreds of years ago, no, thousands of years ago, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And yet we find ourselves like Mary going, but I thought you said this. I understood this. But he told us, your ways aren't my ways. Yet we know we can trust him. In his sovereignty, he has our best at heart, and we can trust him. I think of the miracle she asked Jesus to do, to turn the water to wine. She's probably thinking, come on, can we start it already so everyone can see that you're really God, and I'll be the queen mother, and everything will be wonderful. But little did she know that three years later, he would die. And as Simeon prophesied over her in Luke 2.35, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that's the timing. What about the details of Jesus' birth? We also see the details woven throughout this story. This year, what really stood out to me were all the dreams. Of course, we know there were many times when the angels appeared to them and they were awake. But how many dreams there were? First of all, there was a dream that Joseph had when he said, uh, she's really a virgin. This really is a child of the Holy Spirit. Marry her. Then there was a dream the wise men had to go back to their homeland a different way because Herod was trying to kill the baby. Then there was the dream that Joseph had saying, Herod's trying to kill the baby, go to Egypt. Then Joseph had a dream, okay, King Herod the Great is dead, you can return to Israel. And then he had yet another dream, but don't go back to Bethlehem. So they ended up in Nazareth. There was just so many dreams. I love God's details. My favorite example of God's sovereignty in the word of God, although there are so many, is the story of Mordecai. You guys know the story of Esther, right? So the night before Haman, wicked Haman, is going to arrive to the king and say, we need to kill Mordecai, the king happens to not be able to sleep, remember? And he happens to be able to say, bring me the record of my reign. And he happens to read out of all the scrolls the part of when Mordecai saved his life from an assassination attempt. Do you see in God's sovereignty all these details lining up? And in Esther 6, 3 through 6, it says this. Then the king said, what, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, well, nothing's been done for him. So the king said, well, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said to him, well, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? You guys know the rest of the story. He tells this elaborate plan and he says, okay, great. The man is Mordecai and you pull the royal horse through the city for him. But don't you love God's sovereignty? Nothing can thwart his plans. God wanted to save Mordecai's life and his life was going to be saved. That leads us perfectly into our second point tonight. And that's God's sovereignty in our personal life. So we, we take a look from, okay, that was the Christmas story. But what about for our lives? He had a divine plan woven throughout all history, but does he have a plan for our personal lives? Does he want to be involved in the perfect timing and the chosen details in your lives tonight? Is this still true of him today, or was he just involved in the past, ladies? And if he really is still the same God of sovereignty today, will we surrender to his sovereignty and trust him daily in our lives? If God is sovereign and we see it time and time again in this scripture, then what holds us back 
from trusting his sovereignty in our personal lives? Well, I think, number one, maybe you're like me, a lot of times we don't even realize that God in his sovereignty is wanting to be involved in our daily lives. I get so involved in my daily routine, maybe I'm not even aware that, Lord, are you wanting to do something different today? Am I making this way too big of a deal? And in your sovereignty, you're like, it's okay. One day's problem is sufficient for today, right? Are you wanting to use me? Are you wanting to speak to me? Is this a divine appointment? Too often we don't even know. We're not even aware. But another reason that holds us back from God's sovereignty working in our lives is maybe we don't like his timing. We don't like the details that he has chosen. Can I get an amen right on my heart? I'm thinking prodigals, right? We don't like the timing. We don't like the choice. But what about Mary, like we looked at in her story? It wasn't ideal for her. What about the Jews who were waiting thousands of years for the Messiah to come? How about delays? None of us like delays, do we? Even the word, we're like, oh, I hate delays. Well, I told you, we've been in Reno about a year and a half. And, uh, you know, I kind of was having a pity party because this big trial, to me at least, at the time, it still seems pretty big, uh, you know, hit. And I'm thinking, God, why the first year that we're there? This is, you know, not very fun. And it wasn't anything family related at all. And so one day I was in the car and my husband was driving and I was going through a hard time. So I wasn't, he was talking to my dad by chance on through Bluetooth, but I didn't even say hi to my dad. He didn't know I was in the car or anything. They were just chatting it up. And so my dad starts saying, I just am so sad for Rebecca and what she's going through. You know, just hearing the father's heart for you, right? Like, I just wish I could take this from her. It just makes me so sad. I wish she didn't have to go through this. I'm just sitting there listening. And I went home, and I thought, Abba, Daddy, I know your heart for me. You know, that I'm just, at, it was the most desperate, genuine, just Daddy prayer. You know, can you take this from me? I know it would be a miracle. You know, Denise knows the story. I know it would be just about as big a miracle as you've ever done in my life. It would be the parting of the Red Sea. But, Daddy, I'm asking you to do it. And it became apparent soon after that it wasn't happening in my timing. I had one hard day of crying, but then I thought, you know what, Lord? He started to ask me questions. Do you trust me? Yes, Lord, I trust you. Soon after, a lady gave me a card. And in it, she said, I haven't heard the Lord's voice for many years. I haven't stepped out in many years. But I know the Lord put this on my this verse on my heart for someone. And so I'm giving it to you as the pastor's wife. And I read it, and right away, you know how the Holy Spirit is just like penetrates your heart. It was like, yeah, the verse is for me. It was from Exodus 23, verses 29 through 30. And part of it says this, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. And the Holy Spirit was just speaking to me. Rebecca, I In my perfect sovereignty, my perfect plan, I heard your prayer. I do care, and I am answering it, but I'm not doing it in the first year. Isn't that amazing? It was just this insight that he gave me because it was such an intimate prayer and such a disappointment, if I can say that, that he met me there and he said, I am answering you. And you know what? Soon after the year mark, he did the miracle. And then I could know it was his hand. It wasn't just by chance, of course. Do we trust him? Do we trust his timing? So what does surrender to God's sovereignty practically look like, ladies? Do we just sit back and say, okay, God, you're sovereign. You're going to do your plan anyway, so I'm just going to let you accomplish it. 
I don't see the prophets doing that, do you? Do you see Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel saying, well, God's sovereign anyways? No. If God gave them the plan of judgment or whatever it was, they didn't just sit back and say, okay, God, you're going to do it. No. They actively joined God in his plan. They acted on it. I think of Anna and Simeon. And I know the Lord gave me this for tonight about Anna and Simeon. It's said of Simeon that he was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Did you hear that word, waiting? And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. There's that word, waiting. Simeon was waiting actively, ladies, for the Messiah. And then it said of Anna, she was a widow of about 84 years old, Both of them are elderly. They're not saying, well, it's time for me to sit back and enjoy the ride. No. And it says of her, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord, and she spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. They were waiting for the Messiah. And guess what? They got to see the Messiah, and they were waiting actively. No, ladies, we're not called to simply surrender to his plan, and then do nothing. We surrender knowing that his plan is always best, and then we join him in the adventure. God has a plan, and he wants to use you. I know these are chaotic times, unprecedented times. Sometimes we get so distracted by all this pandemic stuff, but God has a plan in it, and he wants to use you. He wants to work in us and through us. Amen? Do you see the similarity between Simeon and Anna waiting for the Messiah, the first coming, and us here tonight waiting for the return of our Messiah? So following Simeon and Anna's examples who are waiting for the Messiah, I briefly want to touch on two things that I see that they were doing. Number one, they were spirit-filled. It says again of Simeon, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Again, it had been revealed to him by the Spirit. And again, he came by the Spirit into the temple. Being Spirit-filled is not something that we do. It's something that is done to us. Have you ever caught yourself saying, okay, I need to act more Spirit-filled. I need to be more patient. Like we can just be Spirit-filled on our own strength. I don't naturally have a heart for the lost or weep for our nation. But recently, I just, you know, months back, I just truly prayed, again, a desperate prayer. Lord, I don't have a heart for the lost like you do. I mean, I never will like he does. I don't have a heart for our nation. And just that desperate plea. And you know what? He is faithful. He will fill us. And when we're filled, don't we have powers to be, power to be his witnesses, right? He fills us to be proud of his name. Not to lower your voice when you're in a coffee shop and you're praying, Or when you're talking about what the Lord's doing and then all of a sudden you get more quiet. To look for those moments with the cashier to say, I am so thankful today because God, dot, dot, dot. Or with the doctors, God is working miracles. Or like a lady in our church does, I love it. She'll just ask people, are you a Christian? And they'll be like, no. Well, would you mind if I ran to my car and got you a little booklet I have for you? We want to be proud of his name. Because here's the thing. God is not ashamed of us, is he, ladies? 
Mm-mm. He's right now on the throne. He's representing us, defending us, advocating for us, and praying for us. Amen? That blows my mind. Let's pray for the filling of the Spirit like Simeon had and to be bold while we're waiting for Jesus. But maybe you're like me. You want to be more bold, and you're not. You want to be more patient. You're not. You want to be more disciplined in the Word and get up earlier, and you're not a morning person. But that's why he's called the Helper. Because he's our helper in our weaknesses. That's the point. You might be listening tonight and like, great, this is lovely. Great Christmas message. Be bold and pray. Condemnation, condemnation. But that's not it at all. It's condemnation when we try to do it on our own. But the Lord's saying tonight, be filled with me like Simeon was, like Anna was. And the second thing that I see about them is that they were filled with prayer. It says that Anna served God with fastings and prayers night and day. I love what Isaiah 37, 21 says about Hezekiah. It says this, Then Isaiah sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me. And he goes on to say what he's going to do for him. Don't you guys love that verse? It always has stuck with me. He said, Hezekiah, because you've prayed for, to me, this is what I'm going to do. Yes, God is sovereign. But in his sovereignty, we get to join him in prayer. And then he goes, you know what? Sally, because you prayed to me, this is what I'm going to do. So often we think about people. We think, I wonder how they're doing after their surgery. Or I haven't seen them for a while. I wonder how they're doing. Instead of thinking about them, when that thought comes into our mind, maybe we can make it a practice to just pray for them. You know, instead of spending those 30 seconds thinking, oh, I haven't seen them. I should text them. Lift up a prayer to them. Pray for them. Recently, I heard a pastor say it this way, and I loved it. He said he thinks of our prayers like they collect in some kind of roof or awning. And it was actually Troy Warner. And Troy Warner came out of this church. But anyways, um, like our prayers uh, collect in some kind of roof or awning. And then right at the right time, there's a downpour of the answers to those prayers. And then wouldn't you know it, last week I read in a devotional a similar thing. It said this, Yet you do not need to fear when your unanswered prayers are piling up. Okay, so I think of prodigals. They're piling up, Lord, the prayers. For soon they will break through like a flood. And when that happens, not only will our answers flow through, but they will be, also be accompanied by many new blessings. In this past year, my prayers have become just so much fun. I don't pray, God, I'm holding you to your word because you said this. No, I come like, I don't deserve to be in your presence, Lord. But because of your grace, because of Jesus Christ, I come pleading with you. I love it. Who can put it better than George Mueller, right? And this is how he says it. I don't know, for whatever reason, this little excerpt changed my prayer life many years ago. So maybe it'll touch you. He says this. Our business is to spread our cases before the Lord in childlike simplicity, to pour out all our heart before God, saying, I do not deserve that thou shalt hear me and answer my request, but for the sake of my precious Lord Jesus, for his sake, answer my prayer and give me grace quietly to wait till it please thee to answer my prayer. Did you get that wait? (laughs) The long-awaited one. For I believe that will do it in thine own time and way. And then he says, more prayer, more exercise of faith, more patient waiting, and the result will be blessing, abundant blessing. Ephesians 3.20 in the Amplified puts it this way. Now to him who is able, remember we talked about the all-powerfulness of God, he is able to what? Carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than 
all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, and dreams, according to the power that is at work within us. Reminds me of my two-year-old Joel again. When my mom's visiting you guys, <laughs> he gets really jealous because we visit for hours on end. And she can testify we crack up. After a while, he gets right on my lap and he puts his eyelashes touching mine. His nose is pressed against mine and his lips are touching. And he's just squeezing my cheeks. And it's like, I cannot see anything but him. And I can't visit with my mom. It's like, oh, okay, Joel, I get the per- picture. But you know, he's bold and I love it. And I think that's how the Lord wants us to be in prayer. Bold, he loves it. Is there something in your life that you're longing to see God do? We're living in evil days. And we need some Annas here who are excited to join God's plan, his will, in prayer. Recently, you know, the Lord's Prayer, it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a key part of our prayers. And recently I was praying for my um, son. You know, he had a best friend in Texas, and we moved to a new place, and he doesn't have this great friend. And I just kept praying and praying and praying, Lord, bring that friend, bring that friend. Then one day it hit me. Because, you know, I like to try it in the mornings. Every morning start out with thinking of God's sovereignty and thinking of, okay, Lord, this day is yours. You have a plan. That doesn't mean that God's not going to be grieved throughout the day by different things that go on, but you have a plan. So it hit me. Maybe it's not God's plan that my son has a best friend in this season. You know, I want to pray his will. Maybe it's his will right now that his best friend is his brother who's right under him. Or maybe it's his will that he learns to cling to God during this season through it. You know, praying, joining with him. His, with God's sovereignty, like I said, we must surrender to his best plan, his timing, his details, and then we join him in it. It's so much fun and rewarding. And ladies, just like Simeon and Anna were rewarded by seeing the Messiah, we're going to be rewarded too. And that leads perfectly into our last point, and that's God's sovereignty and his imminent return. Just as the people 2,000 years ago were longing for the long-awaited one, they were tempted to take matters into their own hands. They were desperate, almost giving up on hope. They were looking for the coming and the rescuing of the Messiah. Aren't we living in similar times when we're desperate for the reappearing of Jesus, our Messiah? Can I get an amen? I mean, I'm desperate. I'm like, Lord, when is it? We look at the state of our world and we can get discouraged. But that's how the people in Jesus' days felt. And then the Messiah appeared. He was the long-awaited one then, and he's still the long-awaited one today. Yes. Just like 2,000 years ago, we have our Herods. The spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well, trying to stop any work of the Lord. We have our zealots (laughs) turning to political agendas instead of Christ in their impatience. We have a lot of Christians who act more like zealots, right, than Annas and Simeons. But I believe tonight we have Annas and Simeons. It's just like I began with, the marbles filling up, right? And when the last marble is put into place, it will be the set time that God preordained. And as surely as Jesus Christ came at his first timing at the fullness of time, he will come again at the day and the hour that only the Father knows. And we're seeing the signs today, aren't we? 
Unlike Simeon and Anna, though, we're not waiting for a tiny infant to appear, are we? We're awaiting an almighty king, the king of kings. And one of the greatest signs, of course, we're seeing right now is, shall we say the word, COVID. I love prophecy. And up until this time, you know, I grew up, my mom had a, a little magazine thing she cut out of the magazine. And it was on our back door. And we always walked through our back swinging door. And it said every day, Jesus is coming soon. I've grown up my whole life in this amazing church that has taught that. And I still believe it more than ever. We are closer than we've ever been. But, you know, up until this time, my whole life, I've seen localized birth pains, you know, a tornado here, a famine here, and the world mobilizes to help them. But I don't know about you, but this birth pain, it's worldwide. And I just believe it's ushering in globalism. And God told us that during the tribulation, what we're heading towards, it's a one-world government, a one-world economy, and a one-world religion. And Michael Flynn recently said of the U.S., if we are going to have one nation under God, which we must... We have to have one religion, one nation under God and one religion under God. Aren't we seeing this, a push towards one world economy, a one world government, a one world religion? We are closer than we've ever been before. COVID doesn't seem ideal, but neither did the Roman Empire. But that's when the father chose to send his son. So what are we waiting for next? The Lord to descend with a shout, with an archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. <laughs> Amen. So Ephesians 1, 10, and 11 says this, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, did you get that, the fullness of the times? That's that same Greek word that we started with, that completion, those marbles filling up. It says this, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which are in heaven and which are in earth in him. I started out the message tonight with God's divine timeline, remember? And that it started with what? One perfect government. And guess what Isaiah 9, 6 tells us? The government shall be on his shoulders, and of his reign it will never end. That prophecy that Mary received from Simeon, or from the angel, it is coming to pass. There will be one perfect government again. That's what we're longing for. We know we get discouraged. We go, what's going on in this world? What's going on in the government? We lose hope. It's not time to lose hope. We're closer to that one perfect government than we've ever been. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh. So how's that government going to be set up? This is what Revelation 19 says. Now I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Who is that? That's us. Talking of details, he tells us what we're going to be wearing and the color. We're going to be wearing linen, and it's going to be white, and we're going to be on white horses. And I love my linen pants. My husband always makes fun of them. They're like the drawstring, like loose ones. And he says, oh, you're wearing your pajamas. I'm like, these are linen pants. <laughs> and we're going to be wearing linen, and it's going to be white, and we're on white horses. And verse 16 says, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's our future, ladies. Do we have hope?
hope this season? Do we have comfort? Absolutely. Is it in this world? No way. But one perfect government is coming and we're going to be riding with him on white horses. Who will you be like when Jesus returns? I hope he will find us like Simeon and Anna. But you know what? Remember what Jesus Christ said? He said, but when the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith on earth? Will he find us being like Simeon and Anna, filled with the Spirit, filled with prayer? We can't do it on our own. That's why he's called the helper. He helps us not to live meaningless lives, just distracted by what's going on. Life's on mission. Going, God, Simeon and Anna, when everyone else was distracted in the Roman Empire, they were watching and waiting, and they got to see the Messiah. And may that be us. Well, maybe you're listening tonight. Rachel, come on up. (laughs) Maybe you're listening tonight, and what I just said sounds like a sci-fi movie. And you're like, not what in the world? We're coming on white horses, and what in the world are you talking about? Listen, it's not sci-fi. Not one word of the Bible has, every single word of the Bible has come to pass perfectly. I know we've talked about God's timing tonight, and this verse from 1 Peter 1, 19 through 20 reiterates God's timing perfectly. Listen, it's on the screen. It says this, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. Did you get that? Long before the world began, before that timeline of the world began, he chose Jesus Christ to be your ransom. But now he has been revealed to him, revealed to him to you in these last days. And verse 23 says this, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. What does it mean to be born again, ladies? Well, we're all born physically alive, obviously, but we are born spiritually dead and our spirits need to be reborn. You may be thinking, listen, I know God's real. I see it all over creation, but I'm going to ask you tonight, but is he your savior? We have all sinned and Jesus who was perfect and he was sinless. He died the death that I deserved and you deserved. And he was innocent. But the verse said, verse 20, God the Father chose Jesus as our, as your ransom. It's like a ransom that must be paid when a child is kidnapped, right? He paid the ransom with his blood, his precious blood, so you could be his daughter. And as verse 23 said it, you can live forever. Your new life, it said, will last forever. God is all about timing, as we saw tonight. And today is the day of salvation, the day that you're hearing this and the day that you can be saved. So let's close our eyes right now. I'm going to ask everyone to close your eyes. We talked about being bold and I'm going to be bold right now because the best gift that any of us could receive tonight is someone saying, you know what? I'm not sure that he's my savior. I don't know if that trumpet that you talked about tonight, if I heard it tonight, if I'm going to go be with him. But we're not going to let you leave tonight without getting an opportunity. I told you that he is not ashamed of you. Let's not be ashamed of him. With all the eyes closed, I'm going to ask boldly, if there's someone tonight that you don't know that he's your savior, or maybe you think, well, I went to VBS when I was a kid and I thought I was, I'm not sure. Would you, with all eyes closed right now, would you raise your hand? Not afraid of what anyone thinks. 
This is the most important decision you will ever make. Just raise it high into the sky. Is there anyone tonight? Well, I don't know about you guys, but I am rejoicing that he is coming soon and we're going to be with him. And I just want to give you a chance to respond to what I was talking about of being filled with the Spirit. That it's not something that we can do. It's something that's done to us. He comes upon us. The Word says be continually be being filled with the Spirit. Because as Pastor Rob puts it so perfectly, we leak, right? And if you're anything like me, I'm not bold enough and I'm not patient enough. And so I'm going to ask you, this is not for me. I'm not asking you to raise your hands for me at all. This is you stepping, taking a step of faith and saying, I want a fresh filling. A genuine, it's not a perfect prayer that's going to do it. It's just your heart saying, Spirit, this Christmas, I want to be like Anna and Simeon. If that's you, raise your hand. If you're saying tonight, I want to be more bold, Lord, raise your hand high. We're not going to be ashamed. It's not for everyone. Some of you guys aren't feeling led in that way. Those who are. Holy Spirit, right now I'm asking you again. We cannot do this on our own. So many of us here tonight, we want to share the gospel with people. We want to be about your business. We want to be like Simeon, filled with the Spirit. But too often, we're just in our own routine, and we're not even looking to what's going on around us, Lord. Would you fill us to hear your voice, to feel your proddings, and to obey? Give us boldness, Lord. Fill us with your Spirit so we can have the fruit of the Spirit. How about if someone tonight is going, yeah, you know, I just, I think I don't pray enough, so then I don't want to pray because I think, oh, I never pray enough, so why start? If that's you tonight, there's no shame in that. If you're just, if that spoke to your heart and you're going, I want to grow in my prayer life, and there's not a perfect formula, you're in good company tonight if you're saying, I want to learn to pray because the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray. So if that's you tonight, would you raise your hand? If you're saying, if you're stepping out of faith and you're going, Lord, I want to learn to pray. Lord Jesus, would you be our helper? Would you teach us to be like Anna? Partnering in prayer with you. Joining in your sovereignty, Lord. We want to stand in the gaps. We want to see your will accomplished through our lives here on earth. And all God's people said, amen.